I've tested my Forex growth plan and it has stood up. It has stood up through global financial crises. It's, it's stood up through floods. It's stood up through um, you know, pandemics and it is making people a lot of money. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is a code cracker, that's for sure. We're going to dig into economics and understanding really what the roadmap for real estate actually looks like over the longer term and how the world is being really split in two and what that means for you and your back pocket and how you should be investing. Today, you can invest off a spreadsheet, come up with some mathematical equation follow some sort of data logic and end up owning real estate. You can equally buy real estate today based on human needs, what human beings are experiencing and where those trends are headed. And today I really want to have that battleground argument because the world is certainly going left, right and center. It looks like we are being thrown upside down. Today we've got political leaders that dictate really what our world actually is, we all of a sudden uh, are starting to have to consider living in a vaccinated economy, whatever that means. And for a lot of people, Struggle Street is a real street right now. And for that reason, I absolutely am seeing the difference in what was once a normal behavior in the real estate investment arena to buy real estate using investment data and spreadsheets and calculators. And of course, today, a lot of that has been thrown out the window because people simply are absolutely loving the idea of lifestyle and what that means to them. And of course, no spreadsheet can tell you what a place is like or where the best lifestyle is. So for that reason, I think we are going in two different directions. And I want to give you my take on what that may look like for the property world into the future. And of course, uh, what we need to be very, very wary of into the future. There are some pitfalls that we need to understand. And of course, I think uh, asset allocation is probably one of the biggest conversations in real estate right now, and rightly so. All asset allocation ultimately means is what you do when you, with your money. Where do you spend your money? How do you invest in this thing called real estate? You know, the reality is society is on an... Uh, hanging on by a bit of a knife's edge at the moment. It's kind of like uh, you're seeing, for example, you know, the healthcare system under stress. Uh, you're absolutely seeing, um, you know, capital going to assets and assets inflating in value. And of course, for many poor and low middle income earners, they're just not earning enough money to keep up with the costs of goods and services. And I know it feels like I harp on that a lot, but today I really want to make sure you understand really what the inequality freight train is doing to the real estate marketplace 
and what uh, potentially you need to understand when it comes to future things like perhaps rent control, build to rent, some of the ideas around the command-led economy transferring uh, really wealth uh, to make it more equal. And uh, the reality is today the rich are getting richer. There is no question in my mind that uh, those people I've helped become property investors over the years absolutely are becoming wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. The asset allocation for many of those people who I've helped build and buy uh, seven, eight, nine, ten properties, I mean, they are up millions of dollars off the back of coronavirus. The average person just is not saving that amount of money to pay for assets in the marketplace. So we are in a strange dynamic at the moment where really we are reliant upon low credit for a very long time now to guide us through the economy. And it's probably fair to say there are some lunatics in charge of the whole thing. And for me, uh, that does not bode well for the wrong asset allocation in real estate. Now, when you think about uh an economy being command-led, all that means is government has an influence. Government does have an influence in real estate. Government has fundamentally saved the real estate market, if you like. And in a way, government has created the wealth effect through things like creating extra building boosts and stimulus and throwing money at the real estate market to make it tick over, which has been great. And of course, banks have... uh, created things like mortgage holidays and so forth. But let's face it, look at the bank share price at the moment. It is huge. They have taken a lot of that quantitative easing money. They have multiplied it and spread it out the economy and now have more uh, people certainly um, you know, borrowing money, which is not income producing money, and not paying for money to create a profit from it, but just to get into this thing called housing. Now, I think uh, real estate is always going to be a bit of a bedrock investment. But if New Zealand is anything to go by, the command-led economy in New Zealand is basically making it virtually impossible for property investors to even exist. And for what I'm seeing in that uh, economy, you know, it's just, it's it's very difficult to, to for example, buy a secondhand property today in New Zealand. Uh, to buy a secondhand property in New Zealand, banks will lend you like 60%. Uh, there's just not enough properties for the population of New Zealand. And when there's not enough properties for the population, inequality happens, real estate assets just balloon in value. And really what's left is a marketplace of existing landlords, renters, and homeowners. And really, if anything, the New Zealand government is almost like trying to stop capitalism by, you know, making it virtually impossible to become a property investor in New Zealand. And those lucky people that are capable of becoming a property investor in New Zealand will join sort of like an an established level of landlord ownership 
which won't grow as fast as it did in past eras. In fact, uh, it's probably fair to say in 2032, you know, let's call it 10, 11 years from now, property investing in Australia may be very, very different. It actually potentially may not exist like we understand it today. Today, uh, it exists. You can do things like negative gearing. You can um, get tax benefits from buying real estate. Of course, the Australian government typically has relied on mum and dad property investors to provide properties to the marketplace. And of course, if that shrinks, if people can't become property investors, well, who provides the properties to the marketplace? Where does it come from? How do assets get created for people to live in? And, uh, you know, I'm openly, you know, uh, understanding what is happening. The real estate market is being split. It is being split down the middle. And as such, I do think probably 10, 12, 15 years from now, whereby if people are going to buy property, they're going to be choosing properties that they're buying to use, to use as homes, uh, as opposed to buying a home and rental properties. I mean, the good news around that is if you aren't an investor yet, you absolutely should be because uh, it is a bit of a ticking time bomb. You're going to run out of time eventually to even join the race. So I think, you know, where we're at at the moment is a interesting place with asset values, you know, pretty uh, up there in many, many cities. Uh, it's very, very difficult to become a property investor in some cities. Sydney is virtually impossible in A-grade, inner-middle Sydney. You cannot buy real estate unless you're wealthy. Real estate is a, is a rich person sport in Sydney today. Um, and again, there's a lot of money at the top of the funnel. So those properties where rich people can buy – they just pay more for them. They pay more and more and more and more and more for those properties. They do not drift out to degrade Sydney to buy real estate. So Sydney is fairly unaffordable. I mean, the average person has to spend something like 13 times their income to buy real estate, meaning really once they're in, they can't really become property investors. Uh, even if they got equity, they couldn't borrow the equity. So what happens to the marketplace when it's locked in like that? Well, certainly for a lot of people inside of Sydney, their wealth is trapped in their family home. And really that is their wealth creation strategy moving forward into the future. But what it is going to do is certainly uh, create some ripples as to where this is all going. And I'm pretty militant about understanding that real estate, like society, like the middle class is also being split in two. And for many of my investors, I love coaching them to buy on the right side of that economic divide by with the idea that we should choose humanistic experiences that real estate offers people over and above the idea of just buying real estate off a spreadsheet. You know, years and years and years ago, um, you know, 2000, let's say 2005, six, seven, eight, nine, um, you know, spreadsheet understanding, buying on the numbers was a big trend in real estate. Uh, really, for me, since 2007, I've been coaching a thing called the Forex Growth Plan. 
It's a simple plan. I've said it many times on this show. You know, you buy well, you buy a good location, you buy a great marketplace where you can get into that really affordable and livable zone inside a city, and you choose a great piece of uh, behavioral humanistic logic that improves the value. How walkable is the asset? Uh, how close is it to transport? How close is it to a beach? How close is it to the park? And it's really today that humanistic experience which people are paying bucket loads for. And if anything, uh, what we have learnt off the back of coronavirus is people are becoming very tribal again. You are actually seeing the tribes move. All of a sudden, uh, people who perhaps have a more familiarity grew up in the beaches, uh, drifted out, all of a sudden like, you know what, I've got to get back to my beaches roots because, uh, you know, I know that's a good experience to live in. And you're starting to see, again, economic divisions, people who perhaps have have never experienced living in a very livable neighbourhood and haven't got the economic capability of living in a livable neighbourhood are being shut out and it is so fascinating to watch that uh, today the Australian property market is very much headed in some different directions, which again, I really want to flag it in this show that, you know, as a property investor, I'd really love you to walk away into the future owning the right asset. Asset allocation is probably the key principle of property investment today. You know, Sydney is a bit of a warning. You know, it is overheated. It is an expensive place. And if I was to say anywhere was a bubble inside of Australia, it would be Western Sydney. You know, people don't learn uh, earn a huge amount of money, but they're having to spend a huge amount of money to rent and having to spend a huge amount of money to own real estate in Sydney. I mean, what I love about Sydney is you get to see where extremes are. Uh, today in the real estate market and there's no more extreme market than Sydney. Of course, Sydney, you know, people often, you know, reference Sydney as a property market, but, you know, you've got the harbour, the beaches, that sort of one pocket. And then, you know, Sydney can drift into some pretty ordinary ghetto marketplaces where you just would not want to wake up in the economy of tomorrow with assets in those marketplaces. I think, you know, what we are without question seeing is two types of new rationale coming into real estate. The first one is almost the Japanese style zombie economy coming into real estate. All that fundamentally means back, uh, you know, back um, some sort of 20 years ago, the Japanese economy basically went into a bit of a price bubble uh, dynamic in 1986 and, you know, it basically has never recovered and uh, as such, a few things actually happened off the back of what unfolded in that price bubble and that was that, uh, you know, you, you ended up seeing basically that economy never lift interest rates and australia is is really at that at this place that the cash rate may move a, a few percent here and there but we are now living in a japanese style kind of zombie uh marketplace where 
Low rates are here to stay. And, uh, you know, my missus, she lived in Japan for a very long time. Um, I've traveled to Japan. I find it a very fascinating city. Uh, sorry, city, fascinating country. Uh, there are so many vacant homes in Japan. It has got like the world record for vacant homes because when that uh, basically bubble went off, um, you know, people haven't become wealthy in many parts of J Japan. And Japan is, a, is really um, a coma economy and for people who are not wealthy inside Japan, they they are you know the the properties they own the assets they own um, they, they just haven't performed for them and those people who bought you know in the right side of Tokyo and the wealthier pockets of Yokohama have all made gazillions out of the real estate marketplace so we're now in a place like Europe where there's basically uh, you know negative. Uh, a negative cash rate. Uh, we're now mirroring Japan, which is this economy which, you know, will struggle uh, to to inflate. And the big challenge around that is basically the older the population gets, the more deflation actually occurs because as people become older, they generally uh, produce less and spend and spend less, right? And so Australia as well has always fought this challenge of, um, you know, of an aging population by bringing more migration into the country. Fortunately, Australia gets a lot of migration and it kind of saves the, the marketplace from being too zombie-esque like it is inside of Japan where you can go through half of Japan and honestly there's just vacant houses everywhere which makes no sense right because it's you know a country of 250 million people with limited space but actually a great lesson for us to understand despite the limited space everyone wants to live where the action is where the jobs are where the economy is more, more robust where there is fun where there is action and uh you know i think um that is a critical lesson of what you know will unfold in australia that all of a sudden the more desirable lifestyle pockets that don't look good on a spreadsheet are absolutely where everyone wants to to live the other i guess concept that you probably need to comprehend about where australian real estate is going is the American style of real estate. Um, in America, you know, you can go to New York City and prices are, you know, mental, like mental, like, you know, what people pay for rent, mental. Um, what properties are worth, absolutely crazy, right? Um, you know, there are properties that rent in New York City for $30,000 a month. And again, you know, to buy there today, expensive but what if you'd bought there you know 20 25 30 years ago and you were getting you know 10 20 30 thousand dollars a month in in income um well really you know that that's the divide right because most of america real estate is a hundred thousand dollars and it rents for two hundred dollars a week um it is low cost housing 
Um, there is a lot of cash economics in that country. There's a lot of, you know, uh, migrants that, that, you know, basically don't have a green card. So there's kind of like this almost like illegal rental currency in that marketplace. But what it does show is that inside America, there is really a two-tiered market. And where Australia is headed is to a two-tiered market. Assets which are designed for poor people and assets which are designed for affluent people. And today, because of the affordability uh, and livability supply gap, it is getting very, very difficult to find affordable properties that will end up being lived in by the aspirational part of the economy. Now, what I do every day is try and look for these assets because I know that uh, where this is headed because Australia has been down this road absolutely before and uh, into the future, you know, we are going to see a two-speed economy. I've mentioned it before, the Australia's second biggest employer is Uber. You know, we've got people who spend $200 a night on Uber eating, you know, whatever, the Greek, you know, a Greek Apollo dinner and, uh, you know, uh, Uber drivers sort of delivering it, living in a shared household, doing two or three jobs. In fact, the amount of people doing two or three jobs to keep up with the cost of living at the moment is a lot of people, a lot of society, right? So, you know, coronavirus just highlights what was already going to happen. This was already going to happen, by the way. We were always heading for the great deflation of the cash rate. And uh, this is great for property investors if they think positively about it. Maybe I sound crazy and negative, but what I want you to understand is you've got to bet on the right part of the divide so you wake up with the right side of the economic divide which is unfolding and you know what government is already talking about now is the next rental crisis which is going to occur because not enough stock being built there's not enough real estate in the marketplace at the moment besides uh you know lockdowns just stopping the velocity of people moving um, and creating almost like an unofficial um, vacancy rate in some suburbs, you know, the reality is when things start to flow, when borders start to open, we're going to face a rental crisis. And here's the real squeeze which we need to be uh, cognizant of, which is happening all over the European Union, is that... Australia actually may face the idea of introducing price caps when it comes to certain rental communities or rental properties. And, uh, you know, for me, this, this has got alarm bells all over it because, you know, much of society is just not keeping up with the Joneses and you can't constantly put the rent up on that marketplace. And uh, there is a tipping point where, you know, uh, we are probably going to see some sort of government intervention from the command-led economy to actually go, you know what, uh, rent increases have to be done at, you know, CPI and, and that's it. Um, and for me, you know, I'm very wary of what this actually means. So 
uh, you know, I do not want to be faced with owning real estate in an unaffordable suburb location, which potentially is put on to some sort of heat map, which whereby, you know, people in that suburb are on Struggle Street. And as such, you know, we're, we're in a place where, you know, we can't put our rents up and increase our cash flow. So for me, by chasing the livable suburbs, people who generally rent lifestyle uh, are not need-based. And as such, you know, I would imagine uh, certainly the real estate institutes would argue into the future if there was to be some sort of rent cap that anyone living in Bondi is doing so because they absolutely want to live at the beach. So uh, as opposed to someone living, you know, 94 kilometres from a major city where they're basically, you know, having to rent because they're on Struggle Street. So I think I'm flagging a lot of this stuff because, you know, this is this is definitely where this world is is headed. And I've seen this before. I've been through many, many property cycles. And I can tell you my Forex growth plan is making people a lot of money. Uh, since 2007, since I really knuckled down and did the, the Forex growth plan, uh, prior to that, I was doing a lot of trading. I was doing, um, you know, buying real estate. I was holding it for shorter periods of time. Um, I was buying using spreadsheet logic. 2007, I made the switch. I, I went, you know what? Um, you know, there's some great deals to be done. And, you know, I want the best locations. I want the A-grade stock. And I want to buy where things are affordable, but communities are becoming highly livable. And I want something close by to trigger capital growth, uh, things like a tram, an urban forest, um, you know, just something to kickstart the humanistic experience. And ever since then, I've made a bucket load of money out of the real estate marketplace. But when you think about it, right, like the reality is we've got a number of Australians who have got, you know, two jobs. Uh, Sydney is an expensive marketplace for many people to to live in. Uh, for, for most people, uh, they won't become property investors if they buy a property in Sydney. Um, in, in Western Sydney, they just wouldn't have the extra servicing to go and become a property investor. Uh, so they make their bed, if you like. And this is the interesting thing. So if there's going to be potentially into the future less property investors, which I highly think property investment will end up morphing into a rich person's game. Um, if we buy a property which does not appeal to fundamentally uh, owner-occupiers, we may just end up with an asset which we have to trade and is only worth something to a high-level investor. And this is the big, big transformation and shift which I'm referring to. And I've kind of alluded to it through the American version of real estate. American real estate, you know, rich people, you know, New York real estate, all the good stuff, um, you know, people pay good money for it. It's in the millions. Um, and then you've got hundreds of thousands of dollar properties, which, 
you know, on a spreadsheet would look amazing. The rental returns, um, you know, the ability to potentially um, upgrade them all look good. But the reality is uh, it is just buying into the inequality pool. And as a property investor, if you're selling, there really is no owner-occupier inbound market for those assets. It's really just another investor doing more mathematics and more calculations and usually that means driving the price down to increase the yield. And of course, if you play in that asset game, you're going to get burnt. And I've certainly done, I've got the lashes on the back where I've bought basically investor stock, which is only suitable to another investor. And when I needed to sell, really, uh, the game, if you like, was mathematics. Uh, they wanted a higher return. They wanted a higher return because the interest rates were going up. So uh, they to create a high return because the interest rates were going up, the price had to go down. So again, like if you start to play with this sort of spreadsheet dynamic, it can be a bit of a race to the bottom because Australia's wealth distribution is being, uh, you know, split apart. There's more wealthy people at the top of the funnel than there is, uh, you know, uh, people in the middle class and really Australia doesn't have a middle class anymore. And as such, um, I think we are starting to see a shift between broad economics and behavioral economics. You know, broad economics is the idea that, yeah, you know, we've got a supply and demand um, shortage. We've got a low cash rate. Um, we've got, you know, real, uh, you know, challenges with things like, you know, the vaccinated economy and, the, the lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. You know, this is a broad economic actions. We've got quantitative easing, broad economics. And then we've got behavioral economics, which is some people don't care about any of that and will go and pay a million dollars more for the right property in the light, right location and uh, have the money to do so. And so what I'm really at a position at the moment is – that we need to get into these lifestyle precincts to feed off this sort of behavioral economic logic. And, you know, I teach principles around what type of lifestyle to look for and what type of economic influences, whether it's hospitals, beaches, schools, uh, you know, parks, these type of things, all going to create a positive influence into the future when Australia doesn't see its cash rate move much. Um, when there aren't there are less property investors in the marketplace and you need to guarantee that you're going to be able to sell your property one day into the future to an owner occupier so again we've just got to think through our asset choices at the moment and i think a lot of people um you know and i see a lot of people making mistakes when it comes to what they're choosing they're thinking cheap cheerful affordable decent rental return you know that's me. And there is no design logic. There is no aspiration for someone to want that asset. It is just simply a race to the bottom. And what I'm trying to flag here is with the change in economics, we uh, may just end up in a place where, you know, there are the wrong side of the tracks and the right side of the tracks to invest in our cities. We've certainly seen it in regions before absolutely seen it in regional markets before 
where there is the right side of the tracks and the wrong side of the tracks. Now, if you go to a regional city, you can see it firsthand. There are streets in the regional city where, you know, you'd be too scared to drive down them. They're that decayed, run down and full of crime. And the prices in those uh, cities or small regional communities uh, have never gone up. They've never gone up. They will never go up. And, uh, you know, that's where we're at at the moment. After this um, asset increase off the back of basically getting more money into the economy, property is going to become niche for capital growth. Uh, Capital growth is going to be for the right property, right location. And that's where, again, um, I've tested my Forex growth plan and it has stood up. It has stood up through global financial crises. It's, it's stood up through floods. It's stood up through um, you know, pandemics. And it is making people a lot of money. The reason is it's a simple plan. You buy well, you choose a really good location. We look for the affordability and livability gap, where the gap is, where, where things can improve in value. Um, and be funded by other people's money, being funded by the yield. Uh, we look for a market which has still got room for growth without being a bubble. And we uh, look for some humanistic characteristics which are going to influence that real estate. After this growth slows, capital growth will still be available, but it's going to be harder to find for people. And you know, it's going to be niche to assets, niche to assets. Owning the right property, in my view, has never been more important, never been more important in Australia. And, uh, you know, again, there is no wage growth. Like people are not waking up with another $100,000 in their back pocket in the next five years to pay for another million dollars of debt. So, if that isn't happening um, and we are in a place where all of a sudden really the recovery of the economy is geared around getting capital into the marketplace, uh, once that slows up and there is a period of contraction or things just you know, cool off or if you, if you, uh, you know, money starts to be harder to move around, all of a sudden there's less money flowing, the velocity of the money starts to slow down. Well, uh, you're going to start to see all of a sudden, where have we got to? Uh, we've, you know, we've got, um, have we got money to pay for healthcare? Have we got money to pay for free schooling? I mean, here in Australia, you can go to school for basically free, but it's not free. Someone has to pay for it. And uh, usually that someone or something is businesses performing and capital moving. And again, uh, we've seen this in many other countries where the start of a transformation, also which we're going through at the moment, doesn't always mean that there's going to be, you know, uh, great times and there'll be tough times ahead. And as a property coach, I'm cool with that. 
I love tough times. You know, I love helping people through uh, the challenges that they're about to go through owning real estate for 15 years. But we need to get our foundations right. And today, I want this podcast to be really critically aimed at understanding that people have a choice right now. Go out and buy something uh, old, cheap, cheerful in a degrade location and do it at your own peril. Or go out, find the affordability and livability supply gap, uh, realign your portfolio, buy real estate, which people will discover and it will become aspirational. Use other people's money being your tenant to do it. Use the zombie economy of low cash, the lowest cash rate in the history of Australia uh, and make yourself wealthy. Do it using a humanistic experience and give up on the idea that the spreadsheet is the way or the formula to use. Now, when I say spreadsheet, I will clarify there are certain things I think you should look for when you're looking for any real estate. But, you know, the reality is a lot of people today are buying real estate without this logic that there is a trend happening at the moment. Today, people are returning in droves to what they want to, you know, to, to living local. Uh, they are choosing properties where they can walk somewhere. All of a sudden, where you can walk your dog means something. Well-being means something. It means nothing on a spreadsheet. Where do you put on a spreadsheet where you walk Rufus the dog? You don't, right? So, uh, again, you know, uh, I've seen... And the reason I'm flagging this, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of clickbait for assets, which I just, you know, I, I'd be mortified if I owned those assets. I would be, you know, you would literally, you would be lighting a match to money uh, owning those assets. And, you know, the socioeconomic status is a real indicator of what is unfolding. You know, the reality is, I think maths is important when it comes to real estate. So are things like building approvals, inventory levels, days on market, vacancy rates, the rental return you can get, the yield you can get in the market, all great checks and balances. Uh, overlay that where someone can walk to some coffee shops, where someone can live in a 20-minute area, where someone can have a humanistic experience by using a scooter to get around or to walk or get around or understand the spatial transformation which is unfolding in real estate, which I've alluded to in past podcasts. Just go back to the spatial transformation podcast if you want to understand more about that dynamic. Just don't go and buy real estate where uh, there is an absolute challenge of just no humanistic design or spatial transformation logic. Now, I see a lot of emails, uh, a lot of clickbait, a lot of Facebook of stuff, right? You know, buyer's agents coming out and going, you know, just secured a great property for a client. Um, you know, they paid, you know, $260,000 and the property rents for $330 a week. And, uh, you know, it's 20 grand below my, you know, what someone else had paid for it. And, uh, you know, it's located 94 kilometers from Brisbane. I mean, what the hell? And of course, 
this is this is again some of the the things you've just got to be wary of when doing this thing called property investment because there is this I think quite often undertone inside Australian real estate in the culture of property investment that you know you need to buy cheap and cheerful to become wealthy well here's the tip of the day rich people don't buy cheap and cheerful properties rich people buy good properties in good locations and uh you know uh, uh without question um you know buying up the best parts of our cities and our areas so again um into the future there potentially will be less investors it's happened in new zealand now i i'm i you know co-run a business in new zealand we've got great property investors buying real estate in new zealand but they are an absolute minority you know uh i take my my hat off to those investors in new zealand they have to put up with so much shit stopping capitalism move in that marketplace and if anything it's almost like the government there has become some sort of i don't know marxist you know uh you know feed the inequality agenda there's been so much challenges in that uh in new zealand there's obviously been years of mismanagement of bringing stock into the market and uh again I don't know who's going to provide the stock into the future if property investors don't, but you know there are things looming, right? And I've talked about this before. Build to rent is a real thing. Build to rent is the idea that big companies, corporations will bring real estate into the marketplace on mass, uh, large mass subdivisions, last large medium density projects, and just rent them out. And we are now going to go from. Uh, competing with you know bob we went to school with who's also a property investor uh for the eyeballs of tenants with competing with you know corporations who are going to fuel the real estate market with stock and the way i look at that is if i can buy really good well-designed real estate today i'm going to outthink the build to rent movement, which is absolutely coming. The Australian property market, uh, you know, it can't and it won't be able to rely on more property investors providing rental properties to the rental market to maintain affordability for tenants. Uh, Foreign investors are also being chased off. Uh, if you're a foreign investor, you're paying a lot of tax, you're paying a lot of land tax. And so uh, for many of the things that have worked in the past by creating, you know, buildings of for, uh, or, you know, designed for foreign investors that you often see in CBDs, I mean, a lot of that stuff is dead. You know, a lot of the Chinese government in China, you know, basically almost like outlawing, being a property investor, I think, uh, you know, the the Prime Minister or President over there, Xi Jinping, uh, you know, famously quoted that real estate is for a roof over your head, not for property investing. And so I think the era of that huge swing of foreign investors capitalising the marketplace with stock 
is is also dead. So I think we're going to go through a rental boom into the future. I think between probably 20, 20, late 22 to 24, the rents are going to skyrocket. Then we're going to start to see things change. Uh, it could be a rental cap. It'll be build to rent. It'll be um, slowing down the property investment movement. So if you can buy now, all power to you because – Buy when it's easy. I've seen when it's hard. I've seen LVRs drop. I've seen uh, all sorts of things happen. Interest rates go up. I've seen serviceability transformation, the Royal Commission, the APRA uh, credit squeeze. I mean, we've been through it all. I've been through it all. I've been doing this for three decades in real estate um, and listen to someone, I guess, who's been through three decades of real estate, what I am telling you is you've got to buy at that affordability and livability supply gap and end up with real estate going in the right direction or you'll end up in this kind of race to bot bottom zombie marketplace which is full of inequality and it looks great on a spreadsheet. So would I buy off a spreadsheet or would I spend more time understanding potentially What's nice about a suburb, I would probably spend more time about what's nice about a suburb and what's nice about a street and what's nice about the property because at the end of the day, uh, as long as the rents are pretty good, you're going to go in the right direction. It's going to move in the right direction. You're going to make money. And if you use my Forex growth plan, you will wake up if you give that plan 15 years and you'll be up a lot of money. I'm personally up. A, a lot of money when it comes to the Forex growth plans since I've been using it, uh, which dates back to 2007 and acquired, you know, lots of assets, lots of assets. And, you know, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. That's what I can tell you. And the reason is because with that plan, Yes, it's about buying well, but that's not the only part of the puzzle. And I think this is where a lot of spreadsheet buyers go wrong because buying off a spreadsheet or buying well from a spreadsheet is just the buying well part. What about the location? What about the city? What about the humanistic experience the real estate offers? Real estate is a people business. If uh, people are going to have a better experience with the property and they've got more money, they're likely to do very, very well. Now, I was mentioning, you know, regional regional Australia has been through this, right? Um, you know, I look back on some real estate I bought in regional Australia back in 2004 using a spreadsheet, uh, buying basically with the idea that the yield uh, was, was a big concept and... Today, that real estate still—it's actually less than what it was what it was worth in 2004. It's gone backwards, and the reason is uh, back then when I when I bought bought the asset I'm referring to, it had no nice things around it. It wasn't in a good location. It wasn't wasn't in a population uh, a pie city full of population infrastructure economics. Uh, it wasn't. It was basically on the wrong side of the tracks in a regional community and it's it's still on the wrong side of the tracks in a regional community and still to this day owner occupiers don't want to live in it and to this day it's actually gone down in value 
Think about that. All the real estate that has gone up in value and that real estate has gone down in value when measured over the same distance. And I really sort of, you know, I know today sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory um, and, you know, a little bit wild maybe as and not my usual, you know, happy self. Uh, you know, I think we have to bow down to the supreme leader of what real estate is. Uh, my wife's my supreme leader. She's my uh, North Korea, if you like. I have to bow down to her. We need to bow down today that we need to get into the livability section of the marketplace. And as soon as you bow down to that concept, you're absolutely going to make money out of real estate, right? So real estate uh, is going to be split in two. It's happened in regional markets. It's happened in regional markets. It's it's not even a, a – yeah, I think what we have noticed inside of cities really since the year 2000, if you like, that ghettos kind of got cleaned up in cities. There, were, there basically has not been ghettos in cities for – two decades, if you like. Um, when I was growing up, when I was going out in the 90s, there was a lot of ghettos. There was a lot of people who lived in inequality. There was a lot of people who lived in houses and, you know, the houses weren't very nice, right? The houses were, were horrible and smelt like old moths and, you know, things were itchy and oh, it was just horrible, right? And then I think we've been lucky for two decades, particularly off the back of the mining boom era here in Australia, to clean up a lot of our cities where it's not as noticeable when you go through cities to go, well, that's a rich part and that's a poor part. But absolutely, that's we are, we are heading, we are reversing. We're reversing and rich parts will look even better and poor parts will look even poorer. And just because an area is poorer doesn't mean it's going to become richer, which it did do in past eras. And so I think we need to understand in regional Australia, this has been a thing for a long time. You don't buy on the bad side of the tracks. You buy on the good side of the tracks. Um, it feels like to me that in urban buying, we've forgotten that, that the saying, buy on the good side of the tracks, not the bad side of the tracks, actually means something. It's not, uh, it, is, it is a thing, right? And of course, all this is leading to a conversation that, you know, if you're building assets as a property investor, down the track, you're going to have to potentially sell one, maybe two, to pay off debt and keep others which are income producing. Quite often, a lot of property investors are using leverage to control debt, which just fundamentally means that they're taking on more debt uh, to control debt. And so it's like a double debt sandwich. And because it's a double debt sandwich, the worst thing you can do into the future is just invest in this subpar logic, right? We want the better communities, the uh, communities with a vision. And as such, you know, I'm, you will do really, really well out of a low-rate marketplace where a lot of people in Australia are highly skilled. A lot of Australians are becoming more and more skilled. People are getting smarter here. Uh, it's not just an elite section of the market that is going to benefit from this. 
I'm talking about 50% of society is going to be owning real estate, which is doing its thing on its way to becoming more and more valuable. And 50% of society will be renters or owning real estate as investors whereby renters live, which is not going to be a fun part of the marketplace. If anything, it'll become cash flow real estate and potentially into the future, that will be the way we observe that marketplace as a positive cash flow investment. And I highly think this is, I mean, I'm seeing it already in really urban areas. I'm seeing it in Canberra. I'm seeing it in uh, pockets of Brisbane today that you can actually buy these low uh, growth assets and get a positive cash flow return from them. And if that is your strategy, well, I understand the logic, um, but if you're buying them with the expectation of growth, it's not going to work like that. It will work, however, as an accumulation strategy of cash flow. So personally, I think what will end up happening is those with real estate assets that get a lot of equity, um, potentially in 2035, will be circling and back and buying, you know, five and five, six, seven of these things at one time and probably doing it just for cash flow, uh, for no capital growth. They will be investors who do not need capital growth that have more equity than they can poke a stick at. And certainly I look at my equity position since 2007, which I stuck to the Forex growth plan. Like I don't need more equity. I keep getting more equity from the Forex growth plan. I don't need more equity. Um, And if anything, uh, I should be the one buying these cash flow assets because I understand them. They're not going to create growth. Uh, they are just designed around income, income, income. And, uh, you know, I reason I flag that is we will have two marketplaces inside of our capital cities, capital growth market and a cash flow market. And that is very interesting because in the past you went cities, capital growth, and then you went regionals, cash flow. That was, that was the two... Uh, pillars, if you like, of of uh, of balancing real estate. Now you can go inequality, cash flow. Uh, where there is no inequality, growth. That that is really the formula which is unfolded in real estate. And I think it's so amazing to see this change. You know, I was speaking to a valuer the other day, and and. Um, he mentioned, you know, the old saying, buy the worst house in the best street no longer actually exists in a low rate marketplace. It's actually buy the best house in the best street. And that really got me thinking about today's episode, to be brutally honest, that real estate is going in that direction that um, all of a sudden, you know, the rundown, uh, downtrodden piece of real estate is really not what people want. And people today have really transformed. We are in a place of increasing sophistication. We are in a place where people understand 
you know, the market is is moving, the market is changing, and today, you know, people really um, value the idea of position, 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 and for uh, the people with money, you know, that focus on design is everything and designing your life, it, you know, makes people with real estate with, uh, you know, really good assets and the asset allocation behind them just making so much money. If you've got assets that were, you know, $1.5 million, they've gone to $2.2 million. The amount of wealth that, that it has jumped by is staggering because, again, the position um, is just, yeah, is becoming what people want. And, again, I think, when we think about this increasing sophistication, it's built around that location, 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 about the strengths of a city. Where are the strengths of a city? Sydney's strength are its harbour, its beaches. That's its strength. That's its strength. So people buying around its harbour, its beaches, and its inner city lifestyle, that's its strength. If you look at Melbourne, very similar. Its strength is its beach or bay areas. Um, it's uh, CBD, it's got one of the best CBDs in the world and, uh, you know, it's it's coastline, right? And so all of a sudden people are gravitating to those spots down at the Mornington Peninsula or choosing to be urbanites. So you've got to play to the strengths of a city. Brisbane is different to Melbourne, different to city, Sydney, but I just found that so interesting that the worst house, best street, no longer really is as accurate as you probably think it is. We are going through a game-changing future, folks. So just think about quality property, quality location equals quality tenant and a quality resale down this track, no doubt. And that equals longevity in my view. So make sure you stick to those cues that I just mentioned you'll end up in the right place. And of course, if you're investing for growth, think about the humanistic experience real estate offers people. As such, you'll do really, really well as we go through this crazy transformation of economics. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time on The Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on youtube and i would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family in between episodes you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over facebook instagram or linkedin until we meet again on the next episode of the urban property investor take care and bye for now